Jackson with First No Play. Listen to my girl Denia. Man, what a great show. Everybody tune in to her. Radio's happening through Denia. Well, hello, Mr. Jackson, and welcome to Denia Azure Radio. How are you? I'm looking for Mr. Jackson. Tommy is just fine. How are you? Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Jackson. I love it. Hey, Tommy, how are you? I'm amazing. How are you? I am phenomenal. So, you guys, this is a special treat. I am super geeked to have this man on. This is Mr. Tommy Jackson, CEO of First Note Plate. Uh, so, you have the sync licensing space, and it's also a label as well, correct? Correct, yeah. Actually, we have two labels and a, and a sync licensing firm, yeah. Yes, and he is the most amazing host on the Clubhouse. That's where I met him. Y'all have heard the name Clubhouse so many times. I'm going to need Paula Rohan to give me a text. Thank you <laughs> at this point. But I found so many incredible people on there. And he has this beautiful room on Sundays called Soulful Sundays. Um, I remember the first time I met him, I was in a thinking room. And then he flipped that, and he turned it, turned it to little T. And I heard all this amazing music. I'm telling you, there are a lot of music, there are a lot of quote unquote music rooms on Clubhouse. He's the only music room that I go into, and I know that every single time I'm going in there, as long as it's his artist, I'm gonna hear nothing but the top of the top records in the world. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for all those kind words. Yeah, I mean, music is a. Uh... A lot of fun. Clubhouse can be interesting, and it can be a lot of fun for sure. And uh, it's amazing when I get to meet amazing people like yourself. So uh, for that, I'm super grateful and thankful, and uh, thank you for having me on. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think the the biggest thing for me is just to kind of to see all the different personalities that you have. Like, you know, <laughs> you were in the thinking room, and he was super serious. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what in the world? Oh, this is the same person? Okay, cool. You know, you can just see the different vibes that he has. And then, um, but for me, Soulful Sundays is so beautiful because I've gotten to meet so many incredible people, and there's nothing but inspirational, beautiful records. We tell so many powerful stories, and you really do feel God coming to the room. And so I thank you for doing that because that's really uplifted me, and I know it's uplifted several people um, on the app. I know we had a couple weeks ago where he were where literally, like, the room just flooded with thousands of, like, hundreds of people. It was crazy. And it was just, like, just for, for a moment. But it was at the right time because someone was feeling down for a second. And that right there is that burst of letting you know that God was in that room, no question. So. Yeah, Soulful Sundays by far my favorite room that we do on Clubhouse. Uh, you know, being a secular uh, label, you know, most of my music is going to be secular. But from the standpoint of my personal life, I love, uh, you know, gospel, true gospel music and uh, praise and worship. And uh, so, yeah, on Sundays at 9 o'clock Central Time on Clubhouse, uh, it started by accident, but it's grown. And, yeah, a couple of weeks ago we had over 1,400 people to come through, and that was just simply, uh, that was amazing for me. It absolutely was. So when we spoke earlier, you said a little bit about how um, Chicago changed your life. Because now, remind you, you, you used to be in finance, correct? 
Yeah, I mean, I still am in finance. I own Jackson Wealth Management, which is a uh, asset management firm with Merrill Lynch Bank of America, and started in that business from scratch uh, in nineteen. 19- 85. And so the business is very mature. It's a very large practice. Uh, we've been very blessed. Forbes and Barron's magazine has listed us as one of the top uh, 100 financial advisor firms in America, 10 out of the last 10 years. And so it's a very successful practice. I just, because of Chicago, um, I am now just a CEO and I am a senior uh, consultant to the firm, but my day-to-day roles, I'm selling it out to my team and uh, I'll stay the CEO until 2028 and uh, then I'll uh, step totally away from the financial world, but uh, I still do a monthly call on the state of the economy. I still serve on the advisory board and on the investment management team, and they'll bring me in. They'll bring the OG, OG in if they need something as far as closing a big account or a problem account, but my day-to-day functions are pretty much just CEO at this point. Definitely. So tell a little bit, little bit about the story about what Chicago did, because everybody has this so, it's crazy to be Chicago. Oh, my God, it's so violent. Like, there aren't other cities in the country that have violence. Um, oh, my gosh, it's this, it's that, whatever. So explain to our amazing audience about how Chicago changed your life. Chicago changed my life. It was 2018, and I got a call from a group called the Power Team, and they were a group of NFL athletes that went from school to school to school across the nation and really across the world. And uh, they uh, did motivational stuff and, uh, you know, hype in the room and, uh, you know, gave a message and gave a great message, period. And I had just spoken to a college. um, You know, my background was the whole rag to riches kind of thing. And uh, I had grown up in an incredibly tough background and tough family environment. And so I'd always given back through speaking and I would speak philanthropically through school systems. And I'd just spoken to uh, a college in Alabama, actually. And, um, and so this group said, Hey, we heard about your speech and we want to bring you on the team. We will make you a keynote speaker. You know, we'll call you when we're ready. And they give me a call and they said, Hey, you know, we're going to Chicago. We're speaking to something like 12 schools in three days, middle school, high school, colleges, inner city to private schools. And, um, so, you know, I was all ready to go. It was like, okay, let's be exciting and this will be fun. And, you know, Chicago gets an incredibly bad rap because immediately, they were talking to me about signing a release form, about cost of violence and the danger I'd be in, and I was going to be in inner city schools and blah, blah, blah. And basically, they were, uh, you know, I guess, trying to protect themselves from something, and I have no idea what. But I went there, and I did my typical talk. And on the very first night, we got through, and there was a lot of, you know, high-fiving, a lot of autographs, a lot of big, uh, you know, press, all those kind of things. And I was sitting with the guys, and I said, uh, I'm out of here. And they go, you, ma'am, you are so good tonight. This was everything we hoped it would be. We want you on the team. We're going to Mexico. There's 60,000 people. We're going to India. We're at 80,000 stadium, maybe up to 100. And, you know, we want you to be part of the team. We want you to do this thing. And I said, uh, and then they, they made a comment. They said, you killed it tonight. And I stopped them and I said, no, we killed tonight. We sat here and we hyped and we threw jerseys and we got autographs. But uh, we left kids behind that are going to die. I've been those kids. I've been in those homes. I've been in that situation. Mm. I felt their pain. 
And uh, they're like, you're being too hard on yourself. And so I said, no, I can't do this, man. This is fake hype. You know, these kids are going back to the same situation. I said, as a matter of fact, the glove that you threw out from, you know, your your football team, by tonight that 12-year-old is going to get his brains beat out because somebody wants that glove. I said, you know, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't good. They're like, well, what do you want to do? And they said, I said, man, we've got to do something to really help them. We've got we to gotta figure out who's in distress. We've got to figure out what's going on. And so somebody said, well, we used to pass out five by seven cards. Maybe you'll feel more comfortable doing that. And I said, give me the last 15 minutes, and I'm going to do my Power Walk series, Power Your Words, Your Action, Your Love, and Your Knowledge. And um, I'm going to pass out their cards and say, you know, if you're inspired, put down your inspirations. You know, if you, you know, tell us some of your goals, tell us some of your accomplishments. If you're running, man, tell us how you're flying. But if you're in trouble, you know, if you're in trouble, if you're if you're depressed, if you're being hurt at home, if you're addicted, if you're having suicidal thoughts, any of those things, we want you to write those down as well. We're gonna try to get you help. And so I gave my I gave my story. I gave my story of being uh, you know born in hell and and the abuse that I had to go through, and yet um, being able to get on the other side of it and being able to have a blessed life and being able to have an accomplished life. And the kids just I don't know they rallied around me. And uh, it changed my life forever because in four days, um, I watched grown men read these cards and literally go to the bathroom and get sick. And in uh, four days, three days, I'm sorry, in three days, uh, I had over 400 cards turned in saying, you're the only person I, I trust. You get me. You speak my language. 400 cards gave me suicide notes or severely addicted notes begging me to stay in at, and get them help. And um I walked away because I chose not to have kids to eliminate my dad's gene pool. Great decision. And I walked away, and the more I tried to forget Chicago, the more it haunted me. And I couldn't see anything except those faces saying, help me. And um, I walked into my team and said, look, uh, if I sell out the firm, they're going to fire a bunch of you. They'll cut some salaries. They're going to take and change everything we've ever done. You guys can't afford to buy me out. So I'm going to stay on for 10 years as your CEO. I won't be back in the office again. I got to go try to make a difference in the world. Um, our young people are in trouble, but they're our future and they're amazing. And we got to let them be empowered so they can change the world. So we built the Power Walk series and um, that's what we started doing until the pandemic hit. You know, um, and CEO, uh, first note, play is Kazi Jackson is my guest here on the Niagara Radio. I don't see for me this is it's it means so much because of the fact that I understand um, what it means to work with youth and to to see that glimmer in their eye when they just get it or when they know that someone is there to listen to them for once instead of just telling them that, you know, children are to be seen and not heard and or they only only want them around when they want to come and build their numbers up. But, but what, your, what your actual thoughts don't matter. And so to hear that you left your company to start to go and change the world by speaking life into people by acknowledging these children by showing them love and showing them that someone cared when they thought no one did is so incredibly powerful. And well, I mean, to know too much is given, much is required. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much is given, much is required. And if you're not careful, you believe all the words that are around you. And it's voices and choices. And, uh, you know, they're born into an environment. They don't know what they don't know. And I remember growing up mm-hmm. in a very tough environment and hearing people say, you need to act right. You know, you, in, in mm-hmm. acting right, what does that mean? I, I'm acting the only way that I know. <laughs> Right, and these kids grow up without this, this resources. They grow up without family structure. They grow up seeing their mom or their dad uh, abuse and and themselves and others and all these things. That's the only reference card they have in their brain, and it doesn't matter. You think that well, they would know how to be and how to act and how to speak. They they're they're born into there. They're babies. They yeah. only know that life. They don't know another life. They don't know another choice, another way. And so, for us to be able to go in and speak love and speak light and speak power and speak uh, grace over them and give them the possibilities of hope and give them a way out, um, you were watching in Chicago. You were watching lives. You were like, you were watching yeah. lives actually be changed. And um, it was so powerfully moving, not anything that I did or anything good and bad and indifferent about me. The fact that I would I had woken up their inner spirit and made them question all their surroundings, all their, you know, all their environments. They suddenly were questioning, is this my future or is it merely where I was born? And it was so important mm-hmm. for me to recognize that where I was born was not my future. Yes, definitely. You know, I think that, and that's the biggest thing when it comes to the city is that's what everyone that doesn't live here a lot of the time misses. So I'm glad that you were able to kind of pick up on that and understand that there's so many talented, brilliant kids in the city that don't get a fair shake because they're from here and there's a misconception of what we do here and who we are. And so the fact that, you know, you were able to come, come here and experience that. And able to change your whole trajectory is pretty awesome. So well, I thought how it was did you amazing go? That... go no, I thought it was amazing that like you you hear this Chicago story, and mm-hmm. it was pretty interesting because I was in middle school, high school, and colleges from inner city schools to private schools. The most suicide notes was at a predominantly white private school, thirty five thousand dollars a year yeah. tuition. And that's what people don't get. They see inner city Chicago and they label it something that should never be labeled. They label these kids something they should never be labeled. It's not a kid's fault that it was born in a certain house or a certain zip code. But if they're told they're bad, then they're bad. If they're told they have no hope, Mm -hmm. they have no hope. If they're told they have no chance, they have no chance. So we're programming these kids to death. And and that just was shocking to me that knowingly we've left a group of people all across America and we've entitled them, entitled them improperly. And we've given them, and when I say entitled, people go, how do you say that? You, you, you have entitlement that can go either way. And, and that heritage that we've given them, that label we've given them, those words we've given them of homeless and fatherless and, and hopeless and and damaged and damaged good and danger and, and hate and crime and murder and all those words that they hear on a daily basis, both at home and in mm-hmm. their environment. And then when they turn on their TV, the odds are so programmed against these human beings to be able to be everything that God called them to be. And all I did yeah. was is wake up the light inside of them. That's all. Yes. You allow them to see their star. It's something that, that some of the parents haven't done, some, a lot, definitely not something that uh, a lot of the teachers haven't done. And I guarantee you, you change those kids' lives. I can guarantee you that. Um, 
I've been working with kids for a very long time, and you can tell when they find that person that really believes in them, that actually is understanding that they're not just a child, and then they actually are a person that is going to develop into this productive citizen, and so they're actually taking the time. They really, they really do understand that at a very young age. And so even watching the video that you sent me, I was just like, oh, my gosh, these kids love him. Like, it was just the, the energy was just so beautiful. And it's so dope for me to see the same thing that I feel every time I come into your room, to see it in real life was just amazing and just so, yeah, I mean, so incredible. In an, yeah, to be in an environment where, you know, let's just, you know, let's you know, talk about the elephant in the room. To be in an environment where I'm the only white person in the entire school, and they're mm-hmm. really signing, asking me to sign a piece of paper, making me. And so when we opened up the talk, you know, and we can talk about anything, but when we opened up the talk, I was like, you know, I had to sign a piece of paper saying I understood the school I was going to today. And it confused me until I looked in the mirror and holy crap, I'm white. And they all started laughing. Like, you're going to get a common bond. I look back and, oh, my right. God, I'm old and white. I'm an OG, man. I, you know, I'm, I'm a step away from a They start laughing. And but I tell them I'm like you know here's the deal we have more in common than you possibly know and one plus one equals what I get them talking I get them communicating get them saying simple stuff I get them being rewarded and one plus one equals what it's like two and they go and I go are you for sure and the whole gym gets quiet I said isn't it amazing you've been programmed to doubt the most simplest things of course one plus one mm-hmm. equals two so when I ask the question scream it out. Take your take responsibility and your knowledge right now. One plus yes. one equals two. But guess what? I'm not asking the whole gym to change. I'm not asking the whole school to change. If there's one person, one person in here that after I leave takes and starts walking in their greatness, then if I change anything about the first number or the second number, one plus one, if I change either one of those numbers, why can it never equal again? Two. Mm. It can't. So I see I need to change one person to change an outcome that can start a motion and a movement. We can change the world by changing one person in a room. I just need one. Who's the one? And then they all want to be the one. They all believe they're the one. They all want to be the one. Or I can look around the gym and see the person who's been lied to and told to and possibly beaten and abused and has seen things they should have never seen and done things they should have never done. And their demeanor in their head can't even acknowledge that they could even possibly be the one. And that's the one I want to talk to. Absolutely. No question. (laughs) And Tommy Jackson, the CEO of First Note Play and also one of the dopest rooms on, on Clubhouse is my guest here on Denia Azure Radio. So it was interesting. You were in, I think you were, yeah, you were in the, the Focal Sunday room, and one of your former students came on. He was calling you coach, and I was like, wait, coach, what? I thought you did music. So it was funny to hear. That was the first time I heard the sports reference piece when it comes to what you do. So what? So aside from music, obviously, what have you done when it comes to the sports world? What's so crazy is you've been given gifts, right? You know, God said, again, one person, one gift, one, two, one, five. Too much is given, much is required. And you look around, and what ends up happening, the world tries to put you in a box. The fact that I didn't have parental guidance, the fact that I didn't have structure, the fact that I didn't have to be in bed at a certain time or any of those things that allow me the possibility of having just endless boundaries 
And so um, I was gifted as an athlete, but the athletic stuff kind of went away. And in 1995, um, I'd gone from total poverty. And poverty, when mom and I finally got out of a very abusive relationship with my father, um, mom and I were very, very poor. We were very poor. And there would be times she'd be working her butt off and she would not even eat so I could eat. Um, you know, plenty mm-hmm. of times we'd eat the same thing for three days, you know, but, you know, food stamps was in my home, you know, it's one of those deals. And so, you know, I came from that tough, tough, tough situation. And I looked up and I told my sister, if I ever get out, I'm going to be a millionaire by 30. Don't we set these these crazy goals? And we think that money is the satisfaction that's going to be the thing that's going to make everything better and all those things. And and so I worked my tail off on, you know, Wall Street and finance. And I called my sister on my 30th birthday and I said, I did it. And she says, you what? I said, multimillionaire. And she goes, please stop. You're my same old brother. Stop. Was you going to give me the million dollars? I don't really you care what you got and so it, it, it gave me a humility right there you know that you know we're family and we gotta always remember where we come from and I described myself as a simple country boy from South Alabama big dreams with bigger gods and at the end of the day at 34 I was I was just sitting miserable I was miserable and and I had accomplished I had the cars I had the boats I had the houses I had the, I had everything and yet I felt incredibly empty, no different than being poor. And I felt the need to just, you know, the desire to stay on top and the pressure and all those things. And I was like, God, there's got to be more to life than this. And somebody, I decided to give back. I'd all be, I would always been taken from the world and, you know, you know, building my, you know, building my corporate world. And I decided to give back. And somebody says, you know, I just want to do a big brother, big sister thing, be, you know, be cool for a day and feel good about myself kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. So please hear me carefully. But it definitely would not have been my route. And somebody said, will you coach our little league football team? And I was like, man, I don't even have my own kids. Why would I possibly want to go out there with your kids? <laughs> and right. so he said, he said, just come by the field today. So I went by the field and this kid come up and he said, he's going to be our coach. And I said, I don't know. I'm just kind of checking out. He said, we don't expect anything. We're a bunch of losers. And I was like, what? what? How can you call yourself a loser at 11 years old? And I said, why would you call yourself a loser? And he said, well, I've been on this team for two years, and we've won ball, one ball game, and we tied one ball game, and everybody beats us by 40 points and, or more. And they just make fun of us. We're just losers. And I said, well, we'll time out. Yeah, I try to get philosophical with an 11-year-old. Super bad idea. And so I was like, that's the school board on the <laughs> right. field, you know. Was, that's the school board on the field. We're talking about the school board in life. You're winning in life. You're learning how to build team. You're learning how to get community. You're building some great friends. He goes, yeah, you seem pretty cool, but no, we're losers. And started to walk away. Um, I looked at him and I said, you know what? I've always had this process that got me out of very bad, very bad, you know, situation being born in. I said, I've always got this process I do. And you're never going to call yourself a loser again. I'm going to be your coach. And so I called the junior high coach and the guy's now in high school. And I actually spoke to his football team um, just a week or so ago to getting ready for fall season. And so long story short, I took these kids and I did my principal on them, you know, evaluating, deciding, learning, growing, changing. And, uh, you know, we held a very intense three or four weeks of practice. We rearranged the football team to get in the right positions. And that team, we beat our opponents 357 to 12 that year. Only one team scored on us all year. 
And we went undefeated as, um, and then the next group came up and we went undefeated and the next group came up and we went undefeated. Then they moved me to high school. And at the time I was the only coach in Alabama that had moved from youth football to high school football. And we went 13 and two, we went 15 and 0 and won a state championship, 13 and two and won a state championship. So I'd coached five years and I'd won five championships. And um, then one of my kids got hurt, and um, young black athlete, one of the best, Robert Gant, one of the best kids I'd ever coached. And I moved um, him in my home, and I built a home gym. I took 10 kids, and with those 10 kids, nine of them got college scholarships. And people started coming for me to train with them in mental and physical and, and speed, strength, and condition and mental program. And... Um, um, probably 10 years later, I'd uh, put over 100 kids in college, and two of the kids from that basement played against each other in the Super Bowl, Tim Castile for Arizona Cardinals and, and uh, Anthony Madison for Pittsburgh Steelers. And Anthony Winners came in the room that day, and they still call me coach to this day. So, yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy journey. That is amazing. And I love how... It literally came from you listening to these kids and speaking life into them and making them understand their value and how important they are and leading them to championships. Like, that is so dope. Like, that is so incredible. So let's talk about your journey with music. How did you get started in music? Well... It's real simple. I was born into that as well. Um, my grandfather on my father's side was a flat picking champion, uh, which is a style of playing guitar and really fast, rapid motions. And uh, he was a bluegrass champion and he, he was super, super talented. My dad was a great singer. My, my aunt on my dad's side had a label deal. Um, on my mom's side, um, my grandfather actually was a minister and actually uh, way back in the day, um, was on uh, TV and on Sundays, and they had a, a music program, and he was a tenor in, in a quartet. And um, so my mom was beyond the best singer I've ever heard, and she passed away last year. And so music was all around me, but my brother, everybody had to leave the family and get to their own space some kind of way. And at 17, my brother hitchhiked to Nashville, I got a record deal um, six months later. He still works for First Note. And um, he was out on the road. He was having a success. He was about to do another bad deal. And in 2010, I said, look, I'm going to buy you out. We open up a publishing company. You can write for me and uh, you'll never have to worry about that kind of stuff again. And so in 2010, we opened up the publishing company of First Note and we wrote a lot of songs for, for radio. And then from there, um, I uh, opened up the Rising Star Road Show, which is multiple artists, multiple genre with a message on the road. And um, about four years ago, I had a guy uh, to illegally sign my name to a sync contract. And so after I fired him, I had to learn a lot about film and TV. And I fell in love with it. And we've been able to have some uh, some amazing success. We had uh, the theme song for the Today Show for six months that paid us uh, several hundred thousand wow. dollars. We had the theme song to the World of Dance uh, for a season that paid us, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000. And we've now been able to have um, songs on pretty much uh, – any of your major shows that you can think about. And then about two years ago, I decided not only to represent my catalog and, and my artists, 
and open up a sync licensing firm where we take other people's music in and basically wholesale it, present it, sell it to the other side for film, TV, and ad placement. And uh, now I've got some of the most uh, amazing sync writers in the business that works for First Note. And our vocabulary of multiple artists, multiple genre goes from hip hop to, um, to instrumentalists. And uh, we represent around 50 artists, uh, 16 writers, and seven producers. That's amazing. Tommy Jackson, the CEO of First Note Plays, my guest here on the Night Azure Radio. Okay, so if you're an artist listening to this, how would they get in contact with you? And also, like, when you're looking for artists, what exactly do you look for when it comes to your label? Well, I mean, the very first thing is if anybody really wants to reach out to me, you know, they can go to firstnoteplay.com and it's got a way for you to send me material. I listen to everything. I'm I'm one of these active CEOs. Uh, I got a head of sync. I've got a head of music um, at the company, but I truly want to be the person that signs everybody at the company. And so the music really comes to me first. If I like the music, it kind of goes in this order. If I like the music, if the music really sets itself apart, that it can be competitive in the space, um, at that point, I'll reach out and say, send me in four songs. At first, I just want one song, and then I'll say, send me in four or five songs. If I like that body of work, I know what I've got to work with. Then at that point, we'll set up a private Zoom call. And in that private Zoom call is where we decide, do you know the business? Do you, Are you likable? Is your music licensable? Have you got your paperwork intact? Those kind of things. And um, then from there, we go to a non-exclusive rep deal because I don't believe um, in exclusivity. I, I think that, you know, you should be able to have a choice to use people other than us. And um, so we're incredibly sync friendly for the artists. We're very artist-centered. And I'm looking for people that are absolutely great in their genre, whatever the genre is, but great is the word. Y'all hear that? Y'all, independent artists, y'all hear that? Y'all, y'all know that I'm all about helping the independent artists and people like Tommy, like I said, I there are very few rooms that I go into that are music rooms and his is the first one because I never have to worry unless it's playing other people's music then I kind of just like what you you hear what you see you hear what the artists are right you see you hear what they're doing so why would you bring that in here that doesn't even make sense like really think before you send new music in I'm just saying <laughs> it's all about that quality you know and it's dope because like you said he goes from instrumentalist to hip hop and every I've never been in a room where every single thing hits I was like wait what everyone is dope this is awesome. Why are you not on your own station? I'm not the same. <laughs> you know, it's really dope to really to hear incredible music that moves you, um, no matter what genre. There's, le- there's that, levels. That is super dope. Yeah, there's levels. I mean, all music matters. I mean, that's what's so great. If you barely can sing, and but you can barely play the piano and the guitar, but your parents and your, your family want you to sit there at Christmas and play a song, and they think you're the greatest in the world, there's something beautiful about that. There's something amazingly beautiful about that, as a matter of fact. If you're good enough that you just want to play for a hobby and you want to get some friends and you got a band or you want to take your guitar and your piano and go to one of the local eateries and, and, and sit there and play in that environment and be, you know, where you can have people, you know, actually appreciating what you do outside of your immediate family, there's something super beautiful about that. Uh, if you're mm-hmm. on the journey that you're really, truly out on this tur- tour and, and a regional tour and you're working hard and you're playing gigs and you're playing clubs, there's something good about that. 
if you go to that next level, being a professional in the business and you're trying to get your stuff on the radio and film and TV, that's a whole different ball game. And that's when the business yeah. just takes over, you know. Absolutely. You know, I think that's the biggest thing about it. I think, you know, when I hear your artists and dislikes, see this is why it's successful because you, you, they get it. Like there's something about the energy that just Ruby is just simply through Clubhouse. And when you can do it through that kind of an environment, you know, not even really knowing who the person is, but just, just hearing their records, you're like, I want to learn more. And that's where, like, that's where those artists are creating these this timeless music that I wish regular radio stations would play. But that's why I'm so happy to, uh, to do what we do in X Legacy because we play those timeless artists, independent and mainstream. And so I'm super excited because when we have your episode on, we're definitely going to have tons of music from your artists uh, so people can get to hear exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to just dope, dope music and passion behind the music. And so I thank you for giving the world this incredible variety of so much talent. I think one of the reasons that I did a label and as well as a single license firm of multiple genre is because I do appreciate and like all music. Uh, in the film and TV business, it's tough for the hip hop side. Uh, I can't use any explicit lyrics. I cannot use any least beats. I cannot use any samples. And all too often, um, there's a lot of least beats. There's a lot of samples and a lot of the hip hop music that goes on. But it's a genre that I love and then it's a genre that I need more and more material and as a matter of fact I'm looking for some great hip-hop right now but it has to be written for film and TV and that's a whole different vibe that a lot of people don't get and in film and TV you're no longer writing for a fan base you're using your creation to allow another creator to cut and paste it almost like we would use you know splice it's one of these deals to where your music is supposed to make that TV show come alive. Your music is supposed to make that scene yes. come alive. They're not wanting you to stop and go, hey, Denzel, please quit talking. I don't care about what's going on in the action film that you spent hundreds of millions of dollars for. Listen to this dope song, man. Listen to all of the lyrics. It's not like that. <laughs> right. So learning how to do film and TV um, and learning how to write to that and how to position yourself to that is super, super important. And yet, they still wanted to hold true to a song. And so right now the industry is looking for more and more artists uh, and artist type songs that are sync friendly. And so I just fell in love with the formula. It's very formulaic. It's very relationship driven. It's a who, you know, kind of business. Um, I'm not even like going even like, you know, like say this in a braggy kind of way, but today um, we, we launched a new campaign for our artists and today I sent out personal emails to a hundred of the very biggest people in the industry and they're going to, they'll open the email and they'll read it and they'll listen to the new music. And you have to have the connections on the inside because it's a very tight run business. Yes. That is so true. It's definitely about who, you know, when it comes to this industry. So what do you think is one of the biggest mistakes that independent artists make when it comes to pitching their music? That's easy for me. Um, they, 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 um, well, let's explain it this way. Music has to be created to be heard. That's songwriting and that's production. 
that's where we all love to be. Love to write our songs, get in the studio, make it, and then, you know, now what? Music has to be performed to be heard. That's artist development. That takes a whole process. Being on stage, how to move merch, how to partner with corporate brands, uh, you know, the price point to move things, controlling your expenses. That's a whole business in itself. But music has to be heard to be heard, and that's distribution. The biggest mistake that people have done is think that distribution is going to give them an opportunity to start them. So they may put mm. their songs on a platform like Spotify, which I'm a fan of. It's all fine. But you got to understand the numbers. you got to understand your percentage chances. And there's over $60,000 60, new songs go on Spotify each and every day. There's 7 million-plus catalogs on Spotify. By Spotify's own numbers, um, they only had 13,400 out of 7 million to make more than 50,000. If you do the math, it's a 99.8% wow. fail ratio. So the biggest mistake that I think independent artists make is they don't recognize if they're an independent artist releasing music, then they're also an independent label. They have signed themselves to their own label. If that's the case, they have to understand they're probably not going to be discovered or monetized in a digital environment. Use the digital environment as your marketing piece, Instagram, TikTok, and, and, and Spotify. They're super, super powerful from a marketing standpoint. But don't just keep making content and saying you're dropping a single on all platforms. You have to be dropping it to critical mass of ears. You have to have enough ears that are going to buy your T-shirts, going to buy your hats, that's going to go to your local concerts. You have to make money with butts in a seat and merch. You would not make money in streams. A million streams pays us roughly $3,800. Wow. That's insane. It, it is insane. Yeah, I mean, people think, oh, I've got a million streams, man. We're going to make it. No, a million streams pays me. If it's American streams, it pays me, you know, right at 4000 a little under 4000 Uh If it's foreign streams where people can't monetize and all that, it's going to even drop even more. Uh, but on, on the typical, we're going to make about, you know, 3800 a stream and, uh, for, for a million streams. But how many artists are really getting a million streams? Right. And so they're really not even paying for their cost of the demo 90% of the time. It's a great marketing tool. It's a great vibe. A lot of people can hear you and hear you very cheaply, um, being free. What other industry keeps making product when they've not made money off the product on the chef? The mistake they make right. is they're not monetizing their music. Wow. See, that is crazy. This is the real though. This is the real conversations a lot of people don't want to have because you know people people are like yeah I got thirty thousand streams and yada 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 and you're just like when you think about what it really is compared to if you had sold thirty thousand um, copies of your single you'd be making more you know what I'm saying not not your album but just your single and you would you would make thirty thousand dollars so. Think about that, you guys. <laughs> start, you know, start going going back to that and pushing, you know, pushing just that single, and you know, and if you're doing your albums or whatever, doing it for the five and ten dollars, and and knowing who what your markets are, and being out there in in those streets when you can, because you can you can make money just go, you know, selling your CDs by yourself if you had that kind of an audience. So, 
For, for absolutely, <laughs> and and you and you gotta you know you gotta be willing to do pop up concerts in cities. I yeah. tell everybody, it's called controlling your dot, and your dot is where you live. If you're not the biggest artist in your city, then you got work to do. Why do we think that we're going to win the world when we can't even win the city? That part. Absolutely. So it's not about will I be discovered and will I go big and am I going to get a Ferrari and all those kind of things. It's you have to build a fan base and you have to have – and the world is now nicknamed them super fans. But you have to have people that are involved in your network that want to buy your material. They want to be, you know, if they, it's like, okay, you know, nobody needs to buy my material. It's on Spotify for free. Then go ahead and open up a patron account. Open up some kind of membership account where they get free content. They pay for a monthly service. And you're going to provide them demos that nobody else is going to hear. You're going to provide them the experience mm. of songwriting. You're going to provide them with uh, TikToks, uh, TikTok cut-ups that didn't make the TikTok reels. You're going to provide them with uh, you know, a YouTube uh, video that never made YouTube. You're going to give them the inside story. You're going to hold a Zoom call for them once a month and let them come in and meet and greet you and, and ask you questions. And then if you suddenly get to the goal of 2,000 of those fans, and those fans will pay you $100 a year to, for your T-shirt, your merch, and your membership, and they will, and they will, then that person's making $200,000 a year, which is not a bad job. Not at all. And Tommy Jackson, CEO of First No Play, is my guest here on Denial Your Radio. Y'all can hear why I absolutely love his rooms, love his content, you know, and it's super dope to have him on today. So when everything is said and done, what do you want your legacy to be? A lot of people talk about that word, and and I think the word for me has been mystifying because um, my legacy would not be, and I don't mean to be too over-the-top religious or anything because, believe me, we're a secular firm, and believe me, I fall short in so many different ways, but I just want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? I want to get to the next, the next life, having lived this life with a purpose. And so I tell people from the standpoint of me, and this is going to be funny and it's meant to be funny, but it's also true. Uh, and, and people that know me know exactly what I'm going to say right now. But I believe that life doesn't begin or end at a certain age. I think life begins and ends every single day. So I need to live today the best I can. I let go of tomorrow, yesterday because that crap's gone. I couldn't fix it if I wanted to. I can build off of it. I can learn from it. I can duplicate it. I can apologize for it. But I can't relive it. It's done. I can't bypass time. I don't really worry about tomorrow because if you really think about it, no one is predicted tomorrow very well at all. Every, everything that I thought was going to happen didn't happen the way that I thought it would over time. I never thought I'd be on a talk show with somebody incredible like you and doing what I'm doing from South Alabama and being able to reach you know uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people per month uh, through, through a, a social media channel, which is kind of crazy to me. That is crazy. So I don't want to worry about tomorrow, and I don't want to think about yesterday. Those two things are distractions. I want to focus on my today. I want to be the best I can today. If I put together as many days as I can to be in the best I can be today, I'm going to ultimately live my life. What somebody else believes in that life, if they call it a legacy, if they can build uh, and brand themselves and take some of the, the good things that I did and run with them and take some of the bad things I do and, and learn from them and not duplicate them, then I have lived my life on this earth 
as good as I want. I don't really care if anyone ever remembers me. I don't care if they ever talk about me because I want them to come to my funeral. I don't want them to cry. I don't want them to do anything. I'm going to walk up and I'm going to have a voice message. And they go, Tommy has a message for us. And they're going to get real quiet. And I'm going to go, hey, he did. Bye. (laughs) It's done, right? It's done. It's done. Who are we to think that we're going to leave a legacy? When we die, people don't remember what we did yesterday. Give me a break. So I just need to be the best me I can be as many days as I can while I'm still given a day. If I'm the best me I can be, that's all I can ask for myself. So that way I can look in the mirror and say I'm awesome and I don't really care what you think a lot. Uh, but at the same time, if I if I want to try to do the best for you, then I should end up being fairly awesome when I'm dead. So hopefully they'll say this dude was awesome. Oh, there is no question that they're going to say this dude was awesome. You know, it's pretty dope um, because we've been talking about doing this interview for a minute, and I was like, well, let me see when he has the time because, you know, he's super busy. And he called me today, and he was like, I'm ready, and I'm just like, let's do it right now. And I just want to say that I, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing for artists. I appreciate, you know, how... um when I was in the room and I was kind of like, my voice was just a little bit different, how you noticed and you're like, let's pray for her. Let's make sure that she's good. That right there just meant a lot because you don't know me outside of Clubhouse. And so to, to know that you could just tell something was off um, really shows your heart. And it shows why your artist is so successful and it shows why you're going to continue to thrive in your business. And it shows why that room is going to keep on growing. And what it shows why you've made such a difference around the world, where you've been speaking. I've seen the different videos of you where you spoke around the country and the different schools and the way the kids react. And like I said, to 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 see it on Clubhouse, but to see it in real life is exactly what I thought it would be. Because mm-hmm. you're just electric in every single thing that you do. And I really, really appreciate you and your entire team, because your team is awesome, too. I got to meet a couple of them on Clubhouse. Um, you guys are just doing so many incredible things over there. And I definitely hope to meet you in, in real life very, very soon. So We're coming back to Chicago. Don't worry. Let's go. Let's go. We're coming back <laughs> to excited. Chicago. Chicago, owned us. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're we're coming back to Chicago. Uh, we we've not got everything planned, but uh, there is uh, conversations going on right now that we're going to do a three day event in Chicago here in uh, in the not so far off future. So um, we'll be Let's back in Chicago. Yeah, really. Awesome stuff. Yes, so thank you so much for coming on again, taking out the time. Go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you, book you, all of those fun things. It's, it's real simple. First Note Play, firstnoteplay.com. It's right there. If you uh, want to go and see all the big world, firstnoteentertainment.com. And firstnoteentertainment.com will take you to the Rising Star Road Show. Uh, it'll take you to Power Walk, which is the power of your words, action, your love, and your knowledge. It'll take you to TommyJacksonOfficial.com, which is where you can book me for speaking engagements and those kind of things and interviews and podcasts. And then First Note Play, which is what we're about today, which is that incredible musical outlet. You can go to firstnoteplay.com and actually click on and have an incredible music experience as well. We've got a really dope website that my uh, leader, Andrew Rudd, built for us, which we're super thankful for. And you 
can click on the artists and look at some of their bios, look at what they've done, listen to an example of their work. And then we have playlists down there and moods that you uh, really use for film and TV. So there's probably, I guess, maybe 100, 100 so songs that you can listen to of ours, what we represent, what we like, what style, what level quality. And, um, you know, hey. Keep dreaming, keep believing, no matter if you're in the music world or if you're not, no matter if you, uh, you know, wherever you are in life, wherever you are in life, I would like you to remember one thing, and I mean this with all my heart. Somebody once asked me if I believe that we're diamonds in the rough, and I don't. I believe we're all diamonds. I believe that the world has covered us over with a bunch of lies and a bunch of thoughts and a bunch of situations and a bunch of circumstances. Some we made, some we were born into, but if you'll tear back those layers and let your light shine, your day is going to be better. Live it one day at a time. It's amazing. See you at the top. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you again. I truly see appreciate you. Can't wait to see you back in Clubhouse. <laughs> Sounds great. I'm so honored that you did the interview. I'm so honored that you asked me and for all those people listening. Uh, give her some love. Reach out to all of her social media outlets as well. You can also follow us on Instagram, First Note Play. We appreciate you. We love you. And it always is one love. And I cannot tell you how honored I was today. Thank you so much for a beautiful time. Yes, 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 yes. Before you get out of here, can you do one thing? Can you say your name? And you're now tuned into Denia Azure Radio. Denia who? Denia Azure Radio. Hi, I'm Tommy Jackson. Whenever you're ready. Play. Oh, go ahead. You ready? Go ahead. Yep. Next Legacy.